I'm reading from Exodus 21, 12 through 32. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie and wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, then I will appoint you for a place to which he may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and the man does not die but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks outdoors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, and then you shall pay for the life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Amen. You may be seated, and as you find your seat, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this morning we come to your word, believing that it is true. Believing that you have given it to us as a gift. And believing that you use your word to draw men to yourself. So Lord, we pray now that you would allow us to see who you are. To see your love, your mercy, and your grace. And that you would draw us to yourself. Fill us with faith. Fill us with hope. Fill us with love. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to see you all this morning. If you haven't already, take your Bible, turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 21. Now, as we continue to go through obscure text after obscure text, I feel the need to put into context for you that, that we are working our way through 
the book of Exodus. And um, today's passage is the next passage for us. We're in a, a bigger chunk of the book of Exodus known as the book of the covenant or um, the law of Moses are often in the New Testament just as the law. And what's going on in this section of Exodus is God is teaching his people what it looks like to live as his people in a fallen world. The Lord is effectively saying, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. I have set my love on you. You are my people. Now, this is, this is what I want your life as my representatives in the world to look like. And in the verses that we're going to look at today, what we are going to see is that it is the will of the Lord that his people honor life in all realms of life. It's the Lord's desire that his people would honor human life in all realms of life. And the, the laws or the statutes or the rules laid out in this passage drive home this desire of God that among his people, life be honored and valued and respected and protected. And so let's look at the passage and let's look at how it shows us this truth and how this truth unfolds in the passage. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first point is honoring life. Honoring life. Now, as we've said, as we go through these, these statutes, these laws, it's important that we understand exactly what the Lord is saying before we ask the question, what does that mean for us? And so we're going to do that as we walk through today. So the intro to this section is found in verses 12, 13, and 14. So let's look at those. What we're going to see is that the purpose of this section of God's law is to promote the honoring of life and the protection of life in all realms of life. So verse 12 begins, Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Now here's what this is saying. Is that the Lord is imposing the highest possible punishment, the life of the murderer, upon one who takes life as a way to show the value of life. So, so the Lord is saying the highest cost will be given to one who intentionally takes the life of another as a way to promote and protect and value life. Verse 13. If he did not lie in wait for him, meaning if this was not premeditated, 
but it was something that happened more accidentally or incidentally, then the Lord is establishing a place, it's later going to be called cities of refuge, where the person who accidentally took life may flee to avoid his life being taken. So what's being said to us in verses 12 and 13 is that life is of such value to the Lord that he is creating in his people a culture of protecting life. Now, you might say, hold on now. I did a quick keyword search in my iPhone, and the most used word in this passage is death. So how is it that all this talk of death promotes life? And it's important for us to remember that the intent of this passage is not to promote capital punishment. The intent of the passage is to promote a value of all life. And by putting such a high cost on life, the goal is to reduce death. That's the intent of the passage. Now, not only is the intent of the passage to say God's people will be shaped by an ethic of life, but that God's people are not going to do justice the same as the cultures around them. That the means of justice will be different in Israel. So verse 13, there's two ways that this ethic of life will be different. Verse 13, it's talking about someone who is not intentionally murdering another, but someone who accidentally takes the life of another person. What's the prescription in verse 13? The Lord would appoint a city and those people could go to that city. Okay, in all the cultures around Israel, they were driven by what was known as the vengeance system. And many cultures today are still driven by the vengeance system. Most of our, the Westerns that you guys love watching in black and white are driven by the vengeance system. And the vengeance system says, you touch my family, I touch yours. I don't care your motive. I got to prove my value by getting back at you. So what's the Lord saying here in verse 13? He's saying, look, we're not doing vengeance system. We're not doing vengeance system. If the death was intentional, if it truly was murder, there will be a life for a life. But that's not coming from you to you, but that's coming through me and through the judges that I appoint. One of the most repeated passages in the scripture, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. So the Lord's saying here, vengeance isn't yours, it's mine. So we're going to pursue life and promote life differently than all the cultures around. Second, 
verse 13, you have this really weird thing about you shall take him from my altar. One who willfully and cunningly attacks another to kill him, you shall take him from my altar. Well, again, in the the pagan polytheistic systems all around Israel, often what a guilty person would do is they would go to the altar of the God and say, basically, are you going to take my life at the foot of the altar? And the Lord says, look, if you vengefully take life, don't come hiding in my presence. Take them away from the altar and carry out what I've said because we're going to value life in Israel. So what I'm submitting to you is that verses 12 through 14 lay out for us that the Lord is is building in Israel a system of statutes and laws that promote and value that exalt the commandment to not murder. That apply the commandment to not murder. Now, many of us are probably still mentally wrestling with this question. So we're going to kind of move into some application here. How does the taking of life promote life? That's a fair question. You know, mama taught us all that two wrongs don't make a right. It's a fair question. But I think the Bible gives us an answer. That by elevating the punishment for murder as high as it can possibly be elevated, then what the Lord is doing is trying to remove as much desire toward murder and as much pursuit of life-taking as possible. So let me do this. I have an illustration and just a clear Bible verse. So I'm going to go Bible verse before illustration because that's how it should work in our minds, okay? But I hope they both help. So Genesis chapter 9 verse 6 says this. Whoever sheds the blood of a man by his blood, excuse me, whoever sheds the blood of a man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. And so what the Lord's saying there in Genesis 9, 6 is I made all men, all humans, all people in my image. And to destroy humanity is to destroy image of God. It's, 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 a, it's an act of of the highest defiance. And I think that's a baseline here. To destroy man is to destroy image of God. And so the Lord is saying, I'm going to create a system of rules and statutes for a fallen world that do everything possible to diminish the desire to step toward taking life and to promote life. Now, I've wrestled this week for a tangible illustration of this point, and I'm going to do something really risky. I'm going to put my toe in Cold War geopolitics, okay? Sound fun? If you study political science or you were in the military and I messed this up, just remember, I'm a novice who's doing my best, okay? But in the Cold War, the question was this. How do we prevent 
deranged military leaders with an arsenal of nuclear weapons from destroying our nation? Seems like a fair question, right? We should all be in favor of that. How do we prevent deranged leaders with an unlimited arsenal of nuclear weapons from completely eradicating our nation? And here's what was come up with was the doctrine of mutually assured destruction. And this was the idea. The fastest way to prevent a deranged leader from nuking us is not to teach him to value us, but it's to convince him that the minute he nukes us, he'll be nuked. So the answer of mutually assured destruction was point just as many nuclear bombs right back at him. And that seems like a powder keg. Thus far, it hasn't gone off. And, and, and some believe that the idea is that it's not that I don't fire out of valuing my enemy, but it's that I don't fire out of valuing my own life. It's that I don't fire out of valuing the life of my family. It's that I don't fire out of valuing the life of my people. Now, a rough illustration, but, but a, a tangible one. I think knowing fallen humanity, knowing a fallen world, what the Lord is saying is life will be promoted. Sure, in, in theory, it should be promoted by a robust theology of image of God. That's the real answer. But in a fallen world, it will also be promoted by causing people to count the cost by understanding that the cost might be their own life. So what's going on here, and I'm not trying to build some, I'm not trying to get into modern applications hereof. I'm just saying that what's being laid out here is a set of statutes and laws that's intended to provide a love of life, a valuing of life, a promoting of life. Now, This moves to our second point. What does this look like? It looks like valuing and promoting life in all realms of life. In all realms of life. So you could read verses 12 through 32 as a series of random rules that seem to vaguely talk about life. You could. I wouldn't do that. I think a better way to read verses 12 through 32 is a series of intentional rules rules slash statutes slash laws that show that this valuing of life is going to go into all realms of life. And these bullet points that we're about to look at are intended to close off loopholes to the valuing of life. To get out ahead a little bit, what's going to be here is a rule that says mom and dad They'll be valued. They'll be protected by the rules of life. Servants, they too will be protected by the rules of life. Women, they too will be protected by the rules of life. Unborn babies in a mother's womb, they too will be protected by the rules of life. What's going to happen as we walk through these statutes is... is that the Lord is going to close off any loophole to what this valuing of life might look like. 
Okay, so let's walk through the text and let's look at the way the Lord shows what this value of life will look like among his people. So we've already looked at verses 12 through 13, which says, the taking of life intentionally or accidentally comes with a cost. Different cost, but it always comes with a cost. Now, this challenges us a little bit because all of our favorite John Grisham novels are about people who take life and find a loophole and get away with it, right? But this says, no, all taking of life will come with a cost. Verses 15 and 17, they speak to parents and they speak to the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 15 says this, if you strike your mother or father, they will be protected by the rules of life. To strike means full-blown physical assault against one's mother or father. To put it into the modern vernacular, it would mean to beat down mom and dad and leave mom or dad for dead. It says if one curses, this is verse 17, mother and father, they will be protected by the rules of life. To curse here would mean to wish mom or dad only harm, to pursue and desire only their downfall, and to refuse to care for them as they age and depend upon you for care. That's what would be in mind here in one who curses mother and father. So what the Lord is saying is, even in old age, even in anger, mom and dad, your anger, mom and dad will be protected by the rules of life. Verse 16 tells us that any stealing, selling, or purchasing of a stolen human is against the ethic of life that the Lord desires for his people and those stolen, sold, and bought will be protected by the rules of life. Verses 18 and 19 get into fighting and quarreling. And what they tell us is even accidental outcomes in a fight come with consequences. A death in a, a brawl, a fight, the one whose life is taken is protected by the rules of life. An injury, a time of lost work, a time of lost engagement, we might in our modern vernacular call it a time of hospitalization, those costs fall upon the one causing the injury, even in a quarrel. So it's as if verses 18 and 19 are saying, count the cost before entering a quarrel. 
Verses 20 and 21 and 26 and 27 speak particularly to the relationship between servants and masters. Now, I argued vehemently last week that the better way to interpret the word here for translated slave in the ESV is as servant or master. But notice what happens here. If the life of a servant is taken, he is protected by the rules of life. If permanent physical damage is done to a servant, even down to the losing of a tooth, in a beating, the servant is freed from his contract of service. So servants slash slaves are protected by the rules of life. Verses 22 through 25 speak of this. Two men are in a fight, and in their fight, a pregnant woman is standing nearby. That sounds very hypothetical, okay? And the pregnant woman is injured. What happens? Now, before we look closely at this, I want you to know that that there are some linguistic differences of understanding in this passage, but I think our modern translations get it right. What we're told is that if a pregnant woman is harmed by the brawling of two men, her life and any damage done to her is protected by the rules of life. And the baby in her womb, any life taken or damage done to the preborn child are protected, the preborn children are protected by the rules of life. Meaning laid out, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Not the freedom to do self-vengeance, but an understanding that there are consequences for actions that threaten life. Now verse 28 through 32, this is my favorite, what we've all been waiting for. What happens if your ox gores a man? Here's what's important for us to know. Is before the Industrial Revolution, meaning before the last 150 years, everyone everywhere had animals. These were important questions, right? So maybe someday we'll update these to what happens if your self-driven car runs over a pedestrian or something strange like that. But in the meantime... Let's learn from what's being said here. The question is, what happens if your animal kills somebody? The answer is, the life of humanity is more valuable than the life of your farm animal. So, if your ox kills a man or woman, the ox will be killed. Second, if your ox is a multi-offender of killing others, what should have happened after the first offense? The ox should have been killed. He wasn't killed, so it's now your responsibility. And so if you have a repeat offending ox, then the ox's life will be taken and yours will be as a way to promote the rules of life. 
verse 31. Children, sons and daughters are protected by the same rule, the rule of life. Verse 32. Servants, both male and female, are protected by the same rules, the rule of life. And those who have paid their servant contracts are protected and they will be reimbursed for the lost um, labor. So again, the question, as we read through all this, what do we take from it? I believe what we take from it is the Lord saying, we're going to value life and we're going to value life deeply into all realms of life. Men, women, valued. Master, servant, valued. Children, valued. Mother, father, valued. Unborn children, valued. We're going to value life in all realms of life. That is the culture that the Lord is building. Now, I'm not sure that we then just take this, lay it over here into modern life and go, ready, break, go. And all the children are like, amen. But here's the thing. The heart driving these laws is the Lord saying, we're going to value life. We're going to value life in all realms of life because all life is made in my image. That was true for the Israelites in the wilderness at the foot of Sinai, and that's true today. So let's do some application as we close this down. Number one, if the Lord values the life of all people in all realms of life, then the calling of, of God's people is this, to likewise value the life of all people in all realms of life. Now, the last year, and the powder keg that it's been has reminded us all that there are subsets of all people that we are all prone to not value. And there are subsets of all people that we're some prone to overvalue. It might be different for every one of us, so I'm not going to try to map that out, except to say that if the Lord is valuing the life of all people in all realms of life, then our challenge is to prayerfully say, Lord, give me that value. Give me that respect. Give me that love. Give me that desire. Second, these laws lay out the Lord saying, my people will protect all life in all realms of life. Which means the Lord is giving very tangible and proactive ways for Israel to protect all life. So what does it look like for us to 
protect all life. So I actually, rather than rebuking, I want to use an example where I think the evangelical church does a good job of protecting all life. And I'm, I'm going to talk specifically about the unborn, okay? But, but what I'm affirming goes far beyond a voting booth. It, might, it certainly involves that, but it goes beyond it. So here's something that in the last 20 to 30 years, the evangelical church has done well. We've said, unborn babies are lives created in the image of God, and they matter. We're going to value them. How much are we going to value them? Well, we want to stop abortion. We want to stop the taking of their life. Good. How much more are we going to value them? Well, we're going to promote life, which means we're going to set up centers of help for those who are wrestling with whether or not they should value that life. We're going to help them. We're going to love them. We're going to teach them. We're going to pour into those. That's usually what a crisis pregnancy center does. And then we said, okay, so if life's going to be promoted and people are going to have babies, then we need to be vehemently and joyfully pouring into adoption and foster care because we want to celebrate and prolong and promote the life of every unborn child who becomes born, okay? So that is a positive example of the church of Jesus saying, we so value life that we're going to do things to intentionally promote it, okay? Everybody with me? Positive example. Now, what if we took all these other realms, all these other bullet points that this passage says, these people matter, and these people matter, and these people matter, and these people matter, and these people matter. matter. What if we all got just as prayerfully creative and prayerfully entrepreneurial to say, not only are we going to value life in all these realms, but we're going to do things to protect it. We're going to do things to promote it. We're going to do things to celebrate it. So if the Lord would take you and work in your life to go, Jamie, insert your name, where am I failing to value life? Where am I prone to devalue life? And ask the Lord to show you that and then to prayerfully say, now, Lord, would you show me how to actively protect and promote life in this area among this group of people? I'm going to be praying that. I want my family to be praying that. I want you to be praying that. I want us as a church to be praying that. Lord, would you show us what it looks like to value and protect and promote life in all things? Now, there's one last important point for us to get our minds around. The Lord introduces another concept in this passage that promotes life. I want you to look at verse 30. What's going on here is is verse 29 says, okay, an ox has killed a man. 
But rather than, and maybe this isn't the first time this ox has done something, and so it's unclear what the penalty should be. So verse 30 introduces this idea of ransom, and it says, if a ransom is imposed on the owner of the ox, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed upon him. Now, now, hear this clearly. This is a little bit obscure, but what's being said in verse 30 is, don't think of it as a mere fine. It's not a parking ticket. It's the cost of your life. It's an act of mercy and of grace. So pay it joyfully. Do you see what's going on there? So what we're being told is we're being introduced this idea of a cost, a ransom for life. We're being introduced to the idea of a transgressor being freed from death by a cost. See that there in verse 30? Man, this shines a massive light on another way that the Lord values life. How does the New Testament reveal Jesus? It says he is the ransom to pay the death sentence against a sinful humanity who deserves death. So what this says is the Lord promotes eternal life among those who deserve eternal death. Not this Verse 30, but what the New Testament tells us is the Lord promotes eternal life among those who deserve eternal death at the cost of his own life, in the life of his son, Jesus. So not only does this passage as a whole show us the value of life, but it introduces us to the cost of redemption. Redemption for those deserving death, always comes at a price. It always requires a ransom. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus is in his body and blood, the ransom who purchases all who believe out of an eternal death that we deserve. So even the laws of life point us forward to the cross of Christ by shining a light on ransom, on redemption, on forgiveness, on mercy, on hope. Our life in Christ came at a great cost of Christ, his life. 
So the Lord displayed his value of ever, his valuing of everlasting life by giving the life of his own son, Jesus Christ. So wherever this passage highlights falling short and rebellion and sin and separation from God, we go running to the cross of Jesus. And as those who have received everlasting life at the cost of the life of the Son of God, we joyfully celebrate all life in all realms of life to the glory of our saving God.